little more than 24 hours until the trade deadline comes and goes in Major League Baseball. I'll keep you up to speed on all that's taking place to date, including the Mets dealing Max Scherzer to Texas, which I'm all for, and comments that you definitely do not want to miss. Plus the latest in the division and wildcard races as we're roughly two months away from the end of the regular season. Controversy brewing in Indianapolis between the Colts and running back Jonathan Taylor and it has nothing to do with a contract. Also, the soap opera has begun for the New York Jets as Aaron Rodgers gets involved with Sean Payton's comments on former Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett. Two decisive victories on Saturday night for both Terrence Crawford and Justin Gaethy as boxing and MMA own the evening. July is just about done, but we've only just begun as I jumpstart the week with another passionate-filled podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J-Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J-Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The final day of July has arrived. And although we have August right in front of us, we are just five weeks from today. Labor Day. To put it in an even greater perspective, Memorial Day was more than two months ago. My point in saying all this, enjoy this time, people. Summer will now take off, and before you know it, the days will be shorter. Next month will fly by unforgivingly, and then next thing you know, you'll have the pumpkin craze start up throughout the nation with Starbucks and all the other businesses that are just going to push and jam the pumpkin lattes and pumpkin soups down your throat. No offense, I love me some pumpkin soup, but you get the picture. I've already seen Halloween decorations put up in stores. That just goes to show you that the season is about to go into warp speed, so I'll do my best to slow it down just a little bit, but simultaneously pick up the pace as I'll entertain and fill you in on all that's going on in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And as we close out this month and we look ahead to August and beyond, and I'm sure there are quite a few baseball teams that are looking beyond because over the course of the next 24 hours, or depending on when you listen to this, the trade deadline is right on the horizon. 
And there have been quite a few moves that have taken place. And have to give it up for a couple of organizations who are trying to see what they could do to keep themselves relevant. In particular, the Los Angeles Angels because they have done far what I've ever even imagined. And I get it. We talked about this on Thursday a little bit where the organization is probably doing its best to keep Shohei Otani a part of the culture, a part of the mix there in Southern California and not 30 miles up the turnpike to play for the Los Angeles Dodgers when he becomes a free agent after this year. So the Angels, who have made some trades for pitching, whether your name is Lucas Giolito, or in this case, bringing in C.J. Crone, who was once a member of the Angels way back when, as well as Randall Gritchuk, another decent bat that the Angels could plug into their lineup. So whether that's going to work and keep Otani there for the immediate and, of course, distant future, that remains to be seen. And I understand that they're also covering themselves just in case if Otani does exit stage right and goes elsewhere. At least they brought in some players. At least they showed Otani and even their fan base that they did whatever they could, at least for right now, to keep Otani in those angel colors. So give it up to them. And there's been a few other teams, quite a few teams that have made some moves, whether you are the Los Angeles Dodgers who brought in Lance Lynn, as well as Joe Kelly as they revisit Kelly to the Dodgers once again. Remember, he was a part of that 2020 World Series championship team. And then you bring in Lance Lynn, another arm, as we know that the Dodgers have suffered quite a few injuries there with their starting rotation, as we've talked about. Even a team like the Milwaukee Brewers, who had a rough weekend, and Carlos Santana, who is a veteran presence and much needed bat in their lineup. But what does he have left to try to bring the Brewers through the finish line to become champs of the NL Central, as we still have a little bit more than two months to go in the regular season. And then you have other teams that are looking to try to jockey for position. And although this happened Thursday, which I didn't really discuss, uh, maybe briefly on the podcast with David Robertson, but that was the triggering point for a one Max Scherzer. And you know I'm going to be all over this, people. So Met fans, whether you like it or don't, and there have been some on Twitter, and I get it, Jay Reels, why are you going to Twitter? But some good Met fans and even diehard Met fans who are saying, shame on you if you pound Max Scherzer. Shame on you if you're going to look at this as a bad trade or look at this as a I told you so moment for a guy who was brought in as a mercenary, as we all know. And pretty much since the last year of his contract in Washington when he got traded to LA to be a member of the Dodgers. And from that point on, that's when you knew that Max Scherzer was going to be Public enemy number one when it comes to being that hired gun. And as we saw in that offseason, he signed with the Mets. We know the money. We know the years, etc. And the lasting image that I'm going to have of Max Scherzer, no, it's not his final start as a Met on Friday night when he beat the Nationals and he threw, what, one run, seven inning ball against a Nat team where the Mets did win three out of four. And I'll get to them in a second. But for... Scherzer, the one thing that's just going to burn in the front of my memory as a Met fan were two starts. And I've talked about this too many times here on the podcast, whether you're an old-timer and go way back with me or someone who has just started following me over the past few months, especially during the baseball season. Well, if you jumped on board today, the two starts that are going to stick with me, and I don't care what he did as far as pitching in certain games where he made big starts or delivered or what have you, but he came here with his $43 million price tag. And I get it, Steve Cohen was the one that paid him. So it's not as if he brought a ski mask and guns to the party to say, you have to pay me this amount of money. But we understand 
Cohen was paying for what he did in the past, the three Cy Youngs, the championship in 2019, etc., to bring some credibility and to bring some excitement here to flushing to see whether or not this Met team under this new owner is going to take this team to the next level. But with all that being said, let's cut right to it. The series in Atlanta in that next to last series of the year where he was unable to get out of the sixth inning and I understand he had a 2-1 lead going into the bottom of the fifth but he was able to spit it up. He gave up nine hits and five and two-thirds only struck out four, did not walk a batter, and therefore the Mets end up losing that game. They lose that series. They lose first place. And for all intents and purposes, lost the wild card round, which, oh, by the way, Max Scherzer started game one that Friday night against San Diego. And what did he do? Four and two-thirds innings, seven runs, four bombs of, of home runs. Four bombs of home runs. And walking off the mound, being booed unmercilessly by the fan base, And you just knew that come this year, it was going to be all or nothing for this guy. And as we saw here throughout the first three and a half months, it was so-so. To an ERA over four, he got pounded in starts against the Red Sox, against the Braves, early in the year against the Brewers. The guy couldn't get big people out when he absolutely had to have... He couldn't get big teams out when he absolutely had to shut them down, and was unable to do so throughout the course of this year. And then what happened on Thursday when David Robinson gets traded to Miami for two teenage prospects, and I get it, people could be up in arms and say, oh my God, why did the Mets not go for somebody else considering that Robertson was probably going to be paid the rest of the year? And I believe the Marlins took most of that money, which was what, $3.5 million? So they were going to send just teenage kids to the Mets. They weren't going to give up any of their young guns. So for Scherzer to then go to the media to say, well, I'm going to have to talk to the brass to find out what's going on, to see what the next step is going to be, so on and so forth. So pretty much what he was telling you there, if you read between the lines, was that he was looking for an exit. He was looking to jump ship. He already had his parachute, and all he was telling the Mets was to get me on a plane and put me in a spot where I could be that hired gun, that mercenary, so I could rip the pull cord on my equipment and I could land somewhere, whether it be in LA, back with the Dodgers. We knew that Scherzer was going to get a nice soft landing to a team that's going to contend that he could put himself in a position to make it into a postseason and go on another World Series run, as I mentioned, similar to 2019. And yes, he gets traded to the Texas Rangers for a guy named Luis Angel... Acuna, and yes, the last name is the same that goes to a one Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves, the younger brother, who, if you're a Met fan, you can't expect to get a Ronald Acuna Jr. 2.0 with this kid. Now, the one thing I have about this trade that I don't like, and I get it that he's an athlete based on him being an infielder, shortstop by trade, he could possibly play center field. All right, fantastic. Why can't we get a pitcher in any of these deals? The Mets, they draft shortstops as they did this past draft just a month ago, or even just a few weeks ago now that I think about it, where they bring in another shortstop to go in on top of the shortstop that's currently on the roster who's going to be paid for another eight years at $340 million in a one Francisco Lindor. They have another kid, Ronnie Mauricio, who could have been the heir apparent, but chances are that's not going to be the case. He may be a second baseman when it's all said and done. I don't know if he's going to play third because you got Brett Beatty there. 
So you may have a guy that they could dangle in a trade, which I wouldn't do if I'm the Mets. You want to keep all of your prospects and all of your just young talent on board to see where this could go. And if maybe down the road you're going to trade him, fine. But to not bring back a pitcher or to get somebody that could at least replenish this farm system or even the rotation somewhere down the road because other than Justin Verlander, who you're going to have for another year, we understand Kodai Senga is going to be here for four more years, but the David Petersons of the world and Carlos Carrasco is going to be out based on that performance that you saw there the other night and he's in the last year of a contract, I believe. The Mets do not have any starting pitching. So yes, it's great to get the young, talented infielder, outfielder, you're not going to bring in a catcher considering you have Francisco Alvarez. But where are the pitchers? Can we focus on trying to get a young stud? And even if it's not a young stud, but maybe can we get a pitcher that we could put through the pike and let's see him grow and maybe he could be a third starter in this rotation somewhere down the road? The Mets have forgotten about that. When the Marlins are trading for, say, the Alcantara, when they ship Marcelo Zuna to St. Louis and they get Alcantara back, who I understand is having a down year, but did win a Cy Young Award last year in the National League, where are the Mets making trades for those type of players? So now that I got that off my chest, let's go back to Max Scherzer. Scherzer, what he did, let's face it, he pulled an NBA player empowerment move. He said, get me out of here. I do not want to be a part of this. He jumped ship. He figured, let me get off of this Titanic. I hate to use that reference now based on what happened there early last month. But you get the picture. And for the Mets to give up Scherzer and they did the right thing. And I say good riddance because it's not as if Scherzer came in here and lit the world on fire. Did he have his moments? Absolutely. Did he pitch well in certain spots? Of course. But when the money was on the line, where was he? And he's not getting any better. And he's certainly not getting any younger. And as the Texas Rangers, I'm sure, may possibly find out that what you saw in L.A. two years ago when he did come in to close out that game against the Giants in the division series, but was unable to even get you to a game six because of a dead arm against the Atlanta Braves in the NLCS. And then what we saw there last year is I just detailed that wildcard game against San Diego and that mini pseudo playoff game against the Braves there for the division. And he has not pitched well this year. Yeah, he's had his moments, but it's not as if he's 13-2 and two with a 2.1 ERA. And now the Texas Rangers are going to find out whether or not Max Scherzer has enough left in his tank to put themselves in a position to where they could possibly make a deep postseason run. And as it is, the Mets are going to pay 35 of the $58 million that's owed. So they did get the prospect of Cunha, and I wish I could have got a pitcher, as I mentioned, but I don't want to belabor that point. But for Scherzer, I'm sorry. He's slithered his way out of here. Instead of saying, you know what, I signed this contract. Let me see this thing through. Let me see if we could bounce back. Because you know he has that player option for next year, which he was not going to decline. Considering he just turned, I believe, 39 last week or just a few days ago. So you knew he was going to be a part of the rotation there next year. And then maybe if the Mets went awry next year to where all of their expectations went out the window by the end of July, then you could... Trade, but I get it that the Mets had to eat a lot of that money in order to part ways with Scherzer. But I tell you, I couldn't believe 
when Scherzer in those post-game comments after Robinson got traded, I just knew he was going to be gone. And it was gutless. And I don't want to hear it from people saying, oh, well, he has a right to ask for a trade or Jay Reels, who are you to say that he can't see his way to maybe trying to get to a World Series and win it, so on and so forth. He signed a contract. Honor it. I can see maybe he could be a little bit disgruntled to tell the organizations like, hey, listen, I'm willing to walk or whatever, but do it privately. Don't go to the media to say, well, I'm going to have to talk to Steve Cohen and Billy Epler, the GM, to see what direction this organization is going to go and even put it on himself to be a part of the problem as to why the Mets are five games under 500 as August is looming. It's just disgraceful to see this guy get his way considering he's gotten his way over the last few years, even with the negotiations going back to the lockout leading up to April 7th of last year, him being at the forefront of that, with a rank and file was saying, no, we want to get back to playing baseball. And he's like, uh-uh, we're going to do whatever it takes to get anything and everything we want. And I understand that's a player's right, but who is Max Scherzer to be the head of the Players Association when it comes to making negotiations? Of course, he's a Scott Boras client. That's one of the big reasons why. But being on that ex- executive board to where, uh-uh, I'm going to be the guy that's the poster boy to make any and all decisions regarding the players when it comes to us going back to work or not. So I'm tired of his stick. And listen, I liked him as a Met. Now, frustrated as it was to watch that game in the wild card last year, and especially Atlanta. But again, those are going to be the two moments when people ask me, Jay Reels, what do you think about the Max Scherzer era in New York, albeit brief a year and a half? Those two starts are going to come to mind. And they're never, unfortunately, going to be erased from my brain or even my soul as I have the scars on my body to prove that Max Scherzer was unable to deliver a championship here in New York. What more else can I say? That's why, for the Met fan, pie in the sky, I don't care how diehard and how optimistic you are. These are the cold, hard facts. It's the truth. So no matter how much you want to spin it, no matter how much icing you want to put on top of this awful cake, it's going to taste the same. Scherzer snaked his way out of New York, got himself to Texas, and let's see if he's going to deliver what he was unable to do here in New York over the last year and a half to not only get that team into the postseason, which they will, but also get to a World Series and win. And my gut's telling me, and this isn't because I'm bitter or angry or any of that, I'm glad he's gone. Seriously. But one thing I will say is that I don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to take this team or his team to a World Series. I don't see it. I understand there's not going to be a lot of pressure there than it will be in New York as it was last year. But why would I think different that Scherzer is all of a sudden going to have the magic pill to where he's going to be taken back to 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19 to where he's going to be that guy that's going to shut down any opponent in the postseason and put his team to the top of the MLB mountaintop. So that's all I have to say about that. And we'll see what's going to happen here over the course of the next couple of days. Let me see what other trades have come down the pike. I'd have to really take a look to see what's happened here as I was in and out throughout the weekend. But I think I pretty much caught you up on what's going on. Oh, let me talk about the Mets real quick. So with that being said, oh yeah, and the Rangers did also make another trade by bringing in Jordan Montgomery. So that was another reinforcement for them to see whether or not if they can have that type of staff to where more arms are going to help 
to go along with the Nathan Ivaldi's of the world. We know we're not going to see Jacob DeGrom as at all, but the Rangers obviously are going for it, pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. So give it up to them for what they're doing. And kudos for bringing in Scherzer. That team has never won a World Series. We know they lost a heartbreaker there in 2011 to the St. Louis Cardinals. So good for them, but you know I had to throw in my two cents when it comes to Scherzer and the Mets here, as you heard. And let me say this as I'll get off the Mets after this final comment, just from an organizational standpoint. Billy Eppler, the GM, has said that he's not going to hold a quote-unquote fire sale despite the trades that were made. He said that he's going to look at the best possible return that they could get and he's going to have to be pretty much blown away for an organization to say, hey, I want this guy, that guy, I'll take Verlander off your hands and the money, what can we give you, whatever it may be. So I'm going to believe Billy Epler for now. Now I'm sure between now and tomorrow, Tommy Pham may be gone as well. And I'm sure a few other bit parts, maybe even Adam Adovino is another guy that could be out. That remains to be seen. But the Mets, let's see if they're going to be active here over the course of the next 24 hours plus. Maybe for those smaller guys, like I mentioned, but I don't see the Justin Verlanders or even Brandon Nimmo. I know it was a guy that the organization had spoken to, but maybe if there was some interest. Now, mind you, he just signed an eight-year, $162 million contract, which I get it. $20 million a year is not a lot, but still the years is quite a plenty. So we'll see what's going to happen there. But nothing else, really as far as trades. I know Jordan Hicks, the Blue Jays, got him from the Cardinals. I know the Cardinals, let's see what they're going to do. Obviously, with Montgomery gone, I don't think you're going to see Nolan Arenado or even Paul Goldschmidt sent packing here over the course of the next day or so. But you know I'll be abreast and keep myself up to date with what's happening. And with the deadline, of course, being tomorrow, check any of my social media accounts, especially YouTube people, at JReels, J-A-Y-R-E-E-L-Z, if you don't know by now. Check on there as I'll post the latest and greatest when it comes to the deadline, and I'll recap it there on Thursday's podcast when we reconnect at that time. But other than that, let's talk about what's happening in the sport itself as we try to plow on through the weekend. And to me, I did talk about the Padres, which was surprising to think that the Rangers, and who knows, maybe they knew that something was a brewing there as the Rangers, remember, they had to struggle to win that final game, although they did blow out the Astros, where the Astros won the first two of that series earlier this week, and they were about to cut that lead to where there would have been a flat foot tie at the top of the AL West. And as it was, they go to San Diego and they get swept by the Padres. So let's see what they could do here. If that's going to be a building block for them to try to get themselves back in the wild card race. But as far as the Texas Rangers, they are currently a game ahead of the Astros. As the Astros lost two out of three at home to the Tampa Bay Rays, who now come to New York. For the early part of the week, and then the Astros come to New York later in the week, so that's going to be an interesting week for the Yankees, who lost 2 out of 3 to the Orioles, I might add, even though Aaron Judge back in the lineup for the first time in almost two months with that toe ligament that he suffered in that collision with the wall out at Chavez Ravine at Dodger Stadium. And Judge did hit a home run on Saturday night, but they did lose 2 out of 3. Luis Severino, he is going to be so far gone off this team, and who knows if he's even going to be on the playoff roster Of course, the Yankees have to make the postseason first before that happens, but Severino is a shell of his old self. The injuries look like they've caught up to him. His velocity at times looks good, but still not the overpowering 100-mile-per-hour stuff that we saw when he was at the height of his talent. 
But the Yankees are going to have an interesting week themselves. So let's see if they're going to tread water or even go above and beyond that as both the Rays and Astros come to town. But as far as the Padres, let me go to them for a quick second. Even with that sweep over the Rangers this weekend, they are still five games behind the Miami Marlins for the final playoff spot in the wildcard race. The Padres to date, we know, have underachieved severely. But if this could be the springboard for what lies ahead... And we'll take a look at their schedule this upcoming week in a moment. But you have to think that this team, who has not been able to click at all at any point of the season, this would have to be the rallying point to think that after the Rangers came into their building and were able to take care and break out the brooms, that if this doesn't do it to the point where they could turn their season around and be a part of this wild card mix, I'm not going to go with the division just yet. One step at a time as they're two games under 500, currently constituted at 52 and 54. But because they're five back and the Cubs, although they played well, they did win three out of four against the Cardinals over the weekend, but they did lose yesterday. So they were unable to get themselves a sweep in the process. And then the Diamondbacks have been floundering. The Phillies lost a back two to Pittsburgh this weekend, which certainly doesn't look good. But the Phillies, they do have a little bit of a pedigree based on last year. So we can't throw them out with the bathwater. And then you have Miami, the Brewers, who have been awful here. And the Brewers, you got to wonder whether or not between now and the deadline, Carlos Santana is not the guy that I'm sure Brewer fans are going to be happy that the GM and the front office is all that they could do here to get themselves into August and September for a stretch run to see if they could win a division. Now, they're still in the wild card mix as they're currently... Tied for second place with Miami with identical records, 57 and 49. The Giants are ahead of them at 58 and 48. But as we talked about there on Thursday, between Giants, Brewers, Marlins, Phillies, Diamondbacks, they're all separated by two games. And then I get it that the Cubs are just two in the loss behind the Diamondbacks, two and a half behind them in the standings. And then you have the Padres at five back and then the Mets, which I won't even go there. But the wildcard race in the National League is certainly going to be one that will go down to the wire. Whereas in the American League, the Rays have a nice lead. Three in the loss, but four overall against the Blue Jays and Astros who are currently tied for the fifth and sixth spots. But the Blue Jays have the advantage if the season were to end today. And then you have the Red Sox who are two games in a loss, but two and a half behind the Astros. Yankees, three in the loss, three and a half back. That's why the series this week for the Yankees, both of them, are enormous. And who knows what they're going to do between now and the deadline tomorrow. You know that Brian Cashman definitely has a trick or two up his sleeve. Next thing you know, they may have a big pitcher coming their way or maybe even a big bat. Cody Bellinger may be a guy that's not going to go anywhere because the Cubs have even stated that Bellinger is going to stay put. So if the Yankees were flirting with the idea of bringing in Cody Bellinger, remember that was Clay's son, or that is Clay's son, excuse me, the former Yankee going back to the 96 team. So who knows if that was even a factor to know that there were some ties there with Yankee players of the past and their sons. But this is, one more time, a ginormous week for the Yankees, knowing that these two teams are ahead of them in the standings and that they have to come out at least... 4-3, and which isn't saying much, which is a split against the Astros and then 2 out of 3 against Tampa. But I would think that you'd want to at least be 5-2 and 
a week from now to know that you've won both series against these two teams and have made up some ground there in the AL wildcard race. And then you have the Angels who are four back of the Astros. And as we've talked about, they've played well and the players that they brought on board, yes, are they earth shattering? Are they going to be season altering, game changing type players? Absolutely not. But they've done something. As I mentioned at the top to kind of put this whole trade deadline and everything leading up to this point full circle. So we shall see. And then, of course, you have the Mariners too. You can't forget them as they're also four in the loss, four and a half behind. I'm not even going to put in the Guardians at this point who are six back. But now you're going to have some interesting races. And with the deadline slowly approaching, this is going to be a fascinating two-month marathon or really a two-month sprint to the end of this regular season, which will conclude on October the 1st which is two months exactly from tomorrow. So that's what you have there, baseball fans, as we get to it. And let me take a look at the early part of the schedule here to see where this lies. And yes, the Brewers getting swept in Atlanta the way they did. And who knows what's going to happen with Milwaukee. Uh, I would think that they would have to make some moves here. I know their pitching is very good, but they have to bring in a stick. And I don't know what stick is going to be at this present moment. But here are your series to kick off the week. An interesting one right off the bat, Philadelphia and Miami as the Phillies will play three games down in South Florida. We've talked about Tampa and New York, Baltimore at Toronto. Let's see if that's a four-game series. That's also going to be a big series for both teams as Baltimore looks to stay in first place. I believe they're two in the loss, one and a half ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays as I speak. The... Angels go to Atlanta now, coming off that sweep of the Brewers. So let's see if the Angels can apply some pressure as they came out of the weekend losing two out of three in Toronto. So they don't want to slip back any further, even with all of their minor adjustments and reinforcements that the Angels have gotten over the course of the last few days. You have the Reds going to Chicago to play the Cubs as the Cubs try to fight in their wild card and give it up for the Cincinnati Reds, as they lose 2 out of 3 to the Brewers, they win 2 out of 3 in LA against the Dodgers, including a 9-0 shutout yesterday, so maybe that will bode well as they go to the Windy City, let's see what happens there, the Padres go to Colorado, so let's see if they can fatten up their winning streak by continuing their success out in the Mile High City, the Diamondbacks go to San Francisco, so that's a big series right there, with two teams jockeying for position, as we talked about San Francisco at the one when it comes to the NL wildcard and Arizona outside looking in. So maybe they can make up some ground there. The Red Sox will be in Seattle over the course of the next three days. So Seattle looks to make up some ground there on the Red Sox. Who both teams are out of the wild card, But still you got to make some progress here. As we start to get to the dog days of August. Which is just hours away. And as I look through the rest of the schedule. I just want to double check if these are four gamers. Not only the... Marlins and Phillies, that's three games. No, actually it's four games. So big series there in Miami. Let's see if they could bring in another player or two. They also traded for Jorge Lopez who got the win yesterday and Robertson got the save where Dylan Floro went to Minnesota. Baltimore and Toronto is also a four-game series. So that's one that I will certainly keep an eye on. And what else? Arizona, San Francisco, another four-gamer. And I like that. You have a lot of these big series, which are four-game sets. I don't know if the Boston, chances are that's probably not going to be a four-gamer. A lot of these divisional matchups usually are four-game series, which they are. 
So that's what you have there as we can continue to monitor this race. And we also have Cincinnati-Chicago, a four-game series. So a lot of big series here as we close out July into August with the deadline, as I've mentioned a zillion times here. And I'll pivot and move on from baseball. You know I'll be on top of this. You know to follow me on my socials, in particular YouTube, as I'll keep you guys and gals updated with some posts on my thoughts with trades that will take place between now and 6 p.m. tomorrow as we get set for the final two months of this marathon of a baseball season. And yes, let the dog days begin. And now let me put on my helmet and shoulder pads as training camps are underway throughout the nation here for the NFL I believe the Hall of Fame game, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it this Thursday? Which, think about this. I talked about the very top where Labor Day is five weeks away from today. Well, the NFL season is five weeks away from this Thursday. And I believe Jets-Browns will be a Hall of Fame game Thursday. And you'll have all the proceedings there with the Hall of Fame class of 2023 there on Saturday night, I believe. Or Saturday afternoon into the evening. So the NFL fan has to look forward to that. But a couple of things coming out of camps here, and the first one that has been percolating here over the last few days is Jonathan Taylor, the running back of the Indianapolis Colts. Now Taylor, as we all know, a top running back in the sport, and we know that there's been some controversy surrounding the position as far as them being undervalued and not being paid what they should be, considering a lot of the other skill positions are getting top flight dollar, and how the running back seems to be forgotten here, and Taylor... Although did make a mention, I believe he's going into the final year of his rookie contract this year. And although he showed up and was ready to go, but then there have been some reports coming out that Taylor had suffered a back injury that was non-football related to where the Colts may even think about putting Taylor on the non-football injury list, which means that he will not get paid for whatever practices and obviously if this bleeds into the regular season that he's not going to get game checks at that time now Taylor has come out and refuted that on Twitter saying that my back's fine I believe there was another injury whether it was to a calf that he may have suffered in the offseason that is non-football related who knows what's going to happen and what's going to come out of this where this may be a fracture between the player and the front office And that would really be a bad sign for a Colt team that now has drafted Anthony Richardson and is looking to be the future quarterback of this organization coming out of the Carson Wentz and the Matt Ryan couple of bad years, Frank Wright getting ousted, and you wanted to have some good vibes and energy going into this camp, and now you have this hanging over the organization. Certainly not a good look. I'm going to believe the player here because if the player is healthy and the organization is thinking otherwise, now this is going to be a he said, he said scenario. Who knows how this is going to unfold, but it may end up turning ugly in Indianapolis considering, as I mentioned, Taylor going into the last year of his deal and with this so-called injury and how that could play out throughout the course of this summer leading into the regular season Chances are it's probably going to be ugly and the Colt fan is going to be disgruntled. So I'll certainly keep my fingers on the pulse in regards to that. As far as Sean Payton is concerned, now Payton had made some comments the other day towards Nathaniel Hackett, who was the former Denver Bronco coach of last year. Remember, he got cut two weeks left in the regular season as they didn't even want to have to deal with Hackett. And we could go back to that Monday night game where Denver went to Seattle 
and Russell Wilson going back to his old stomping grounds to where on a fourth and five, I believe from the Seahawk 47-yard line, instead of going for it, they attempted a 64-yard field goal, which ended up being short. And the percentages of Russell Wilson throughout his career in fourth and short were actually high and how they scrapped that off the iPad to where Russell Wilson couldn't even make a play and they decided to kick a game-winning field goal at that point. I know I'm going back in the history books just back to week one of last year, but Hackett had an awful year, which was the precursor to what led his demise and not even finishing out his first full season as coach. But for Sean Payton to come on board and to trash Nathaniel Hackett saying that there were 20 dirty hands on Russell Wilson, and we know Wilson had an awful year. Later regretting those remarks, saying that he made a mistake, that he had his Fox Studio hat on instead of his coaching hat and should have known better, and that he plans to reach out to Hackett to apologize and just to say that his comments were off base, etc. Well, too little too late, my guy, because now you have Aaron Rodgers chiming in, and let's talk about a soap opera that's going to start to build in Florham Park, the training facility of the New York Jets as the HBO cameras and NFL films will be rolling if they're not rolling as I speak. I'm sure they currently are. But you had Rodgers throwing his two cents to back up his now offensive coordinator with the Jets and formerly of the Packers when they were both a member of that organization. So for Rodgers to say that Peyton was insecure and sticking up for Hackett the way Peyton tried to do for Russell Wilson and... Rodgers, he should pretty much stay away. He should just look at that and say, all right, Peyton shouldn't have said what he said. Hackett's a big boy. We'll see them week five, which the Jets will visit the Mile High City and play the Broncos and let their talking be on the field. And Rodgers, you know that this honeymoon phase, he's going to milk this for as long as he possibly can. We saw him at Nick playoff games, Ranger playoff games, Broadway Award shows, the guy's been everywhere since he's been part of the New York scene. And maybe he's trying to become a pseudo, dare I say, Broadway Joe 2.0. So he's soaking it all in and even now making some comments, firing across the bow to Sean Payton and company. But for what that's worth, not much. Yes, it's fodder for a guy like myself who has a podcast. But am I really going to get geeked up and get... Just, oh my God, Aaron Rodgers, what he said. Ha ha, he fired a shot at Sean Payton. Yes, I bring it up only because they are going to meet up later on this year or in the early part of the year, number one. But number two, in the grand scheme of things, is this going to be a big deal? Maybe the week leading into the game itself, but please, people are going to forget about this. And yes, the New York media is going to dredge it up and say, oh, Aaron, what do you got to say to the Broncos as you face them Week five, and God forbid the Jets are one and three or two and two, and that's a pseudo must win game for them. But I only bring it up because it's here in New York where I live, and you know it's going to be a story. And to me, it's much to do about nothing. Sean Payton had his foot in his mouth, and he needed to take it out, and he did, and good for him because he just should have shut up altogether and not try to make Russell Wilson out to be as bad as he was. And he wasn't there last year, so he cannot even think to try to mask up anything that the Broncos did by putting it all on the head coach. And yes, the head coach or the former head coach deserves some blame there, thousand percent. But Wilson was just putrid beyond belief and has regressed so bad that he's going to need a good year 
in order for them to succeed. And if they get a great year out of Russell Wilson, then oh, hallelujah to the Bronco faithful because they're going to need a 180 from Russell Wilson if they have any shot to do any damage in that really uber-competitive AFC West. So we shall see what's going to happen there. And then a couple of other things. I know the Bengal fan in my life, whether your name is Risa Saslow, who had been on this podcast, my guy Jai Shields, who has also been on this podcast, and even Brian Murray, who has not been on this podcast, but Bengal fans, young and old, were either breathing a sigh of relief or certainly holding their collective breaths when they found out that Joe Burrow just crumpled to the ground after suffering a calf strain on a non-contact injury rolling out from a play that was designed by the coach Zach Taylor, and even Zach Taylor tried to poo-poo it, said that it's much ado about nothing, he's going to get his treatment, he'll be fine, so on and so forth, and he wasn't going to give you much more than whether or not he was going to take snaps for a preseason game, which even if he was healthy, chances are it was probably going to be for a series or two, or even any type of prognosis with the calf, you know that's going to be a huge story, not only in Cincinnati, but throughout the league, as the Bengals try to get back to a Super Bowl as they did two years ago, and they were one step close last year, losing in the AFC Championship game, as we know, to KC, so that's going to be a story, pretty much the rest of training camp, how that calf is going to heal, and probably going to be the biggest calf strain that we've seen in the history of the NFL, or at least in the last few years, so we have that to rally around and then lastly Daniil Hunter who was unhappy and looked like both parties were going to seek a trade but he's going to stay in Minnesota one year 20 million dollars 17 guaranteed and the good thing for Hunter is that after this year he cannot be franchised unlike Saquon Barkley who is going to be franchised and as I mentioned on Thursday if you missed it I'll recap it in about 15 swift seconds for Barkley if he has a monster year The Giants are going to franchise him where you could see another Le'Veon Bell scenario or God forbid he gets injured or has an underwhelming year. The Giants are going to say, good riddance, goodbye, we're not going to resign you. So he is over a barrel as far as that goes where Hunter, if he has that monster year or gets hurt, chances are he's going to go elsewhere without having to be franchised. So that's what we have there with the NFL. And then lastly, as I put on my boxing gloves and even my MMA gloves to a lesser degree... You had two fights there on Saturday, which I talked about Thursday. I'll start with the Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. fight. And thankfully, I did not pay for this fight or even watch it because yesterday I was running around and was stuck in traffic for four and a half hours. Although it was a beautiful day in the Northeast and you have another one today as I look out the window and there's nothing but blue skies and not a cloud to be found. But thank God I didn't stay up for that because Terrence Crawford... And Errol Spence Jr., I'm sure this was a fight that should have taken place many years ago that was in the running for so long. And I'm sure the fight fan was pumped up and ready to see this welterweight bout between these two guys who came in undefeated. Well, Terrence Crawford showed why he is the best welterweight and has become champ and by far is the best in his class as he literally took Errol Spence to the locker room as opposed to the back of the woodshed. TKO, ninth round, dominated throughout. Errol Spence had no answers. And Crawford, who knows where this is going to take him. Is this going to be a rematch maybe somewhere down the road? I would think Spence, after this beating that he took, probably not for some time. But as we know, boxing, as I said a zillion times over, unless there's going to be a guy that's going to move up in class to even threaten to take the belt away from Terrence Crawford, What is there to watch? What is there to follow? 
who is on the come up or in the ranks that I could say, oh, well, let's see Terrence Crawford fight this guy or fighter X or whomever it may be. That's why the sport is in such a drought and it's just dying to have any juice, any type of pub. And when you have a fight like what happened there the other night, of course, the fight fan is going to be turned off to think that, oh, Spence doesn't have a shot against this guy if they have a rematch sometime next year or in the next X amount of months. So that's what you have with boxing, and there's nothing else for me to add other than that. And Spence, he's got to lick his wounds and see if he can pick up the pieces to, I don't want to say resurrect his career, but if he wants to resurrect his reputation of being a guy who came in as an undefeated fighter, what was he, 28-0 and with 20 knockouts? Well, boy... He suffered a tough one there, and who knows what his career trajectory is going to be after this fight. So that's number one. And then in the UFC, you had a rematch between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. Now, they fought five years ago. Actually, more than five years ago, where Poirier won on, a, I believe, a fourth-round knockout. Well, Gaethje certainly got his revenge as he won by a head kick in a second-round knockout. To take out Poirier and Gaethje, who was doing backflips off the top rope and a stunning kick, nevertheless. Who knows if there's going to be a third fight. Hopefully you don't have to wait five more years for that one. But for Gaethje to get back at Poirier, and I'm sure that had to be super sweet for Gaethje to go ahead and become victorious. To get back and have that sit in his craw for five years. And like I said, if there's going to be a rematch, let's not wait another half decade before they're in an octagon again. And one more time, second round knockout, not much else to discuss other than Poirier, just like Spence, has to lick his wounds and get himself off the mat to see where his career is going to go. But I would think that both of those guys will be heard from again. And who knows whether two rematches are going to be in store. I think I'd probably see the latter Gaethje and Poirier faster than Spence and Crawford. But MMA, as we know, not to say it's bulletproof, but certainly riding high and it's been the sport to watch over the last few years where boxing is just slowly but surely fading away into the oblivion. Maybe not the oblivion that's strong, but fading away nonetheless as a sport which does not have the fanfare, the pomp and circumstance that it once had. As far as the NBA and NHL, not much there to discuss, although Vladimir Tarasenko, the former St. Louis Blue, was traded to the Rangers, signed a one-year deal for $5 million with the Ottawa Senators. And remember, they traded Alex DeBrincat, their 40-goal scorer, to the Detroit Red Wings. So I guess they had to bring in somebody, and Tarasenko was their guy. So for him to sign one year, $5 million, a Small note there for the National Hockey League as they continue to move along this offseason as well as the NBA. And I'm not going to get into that memo that was sent out to the 30 teams for Damian Lillard. I get it. Maybe there's some tampering involved. But if Lillard is not going to be traded, and as we heard from the GM, Joe Cronin, chances are it looks like Lillard is going to be a trailblazer for the upcoming year. Now, obviously... Anything could happen. Something could change drastically here over the course of the days and weeks that will transpire. But at the same time, because nothing has really come out of that front here over the last, what is it now, month when you think about it. Because July 1st was the free agent period. And of course, Lillard is not a free agent. But we know that it's going to be lumped in with a lot of the free agent talk and trade rumors, etc. But you would have to think 
those talks have cooled off considerably where Lillard is going to either go to Miami or some other team. But until something starts to percolate there, I would think that the trade request front for one Damian Lillard is going to cool off considerably in this heat of a summertime that we have as we will turn the page to August starting tomorrow. And with that being said, people, that will conclude another podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for participating, for carving out a few precious moments out of your day, evening, morning, afternoon, etc. to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it, people. Come on now. Let's increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there just so they know what the podcast is all about, who Jay Reels is, etc. And one more time, if you want to hit me up on any of my socials with a question, comment, or suggestion via DM or email, you could do so with the following, as I mentioned twice earlier, on YouTube, at Jay Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the Jay Reels Podcast, Twitter, or now X, if you want to call it that, Jay Reels one just a number, uh, the old-fashioned way, the Jay Reels Podcast at gmail.com. One more time, hit me up, and I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals, because... Whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. If you couldn't tell by me talking about Max Scherzer and waxing poetic about that trade and good riddance, etc., then I don't know. Maybe I got to ratchet it up a little bit more to show you how much that sports has been in the blood, in the DNA, as I like to say, since birth. This is what I'm doing, people. This is what I love to do. This is the passion. This is the fire. This is the fury. This is the energy that you hear. Podcast in, podcast out twice a week for your edification. With thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.